Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more for what it's worth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. At Raymond James, we know that holistic financial planning doesn't end with retirement. And in fact, planning for longevity, our physical, emotional, and financial needs as we grow older, is a crucial component of a successful long-term plan. So how well do our assumptions about retirement line up with reality? How well does society meet the needs of older generations? And how are technological advances impacting the independence and well-being of this demographic? Well, here to discuss all of this and more, we've got just the right featured guest to weigh in. I'm really pleased to introduce Dr. Joe Coughlin. He's the founder and director of the MIT Age Lab. It's a multidisciplinary research program committed to improving quality of life for older people and those caring for them. Dr. Joe, it's great to meet you. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, Beish. Thank you for having me and always good to talk to the folks at Raymond James. Let's jump in with some of these assumptions. What does conventional wisdom tend to get right or wrong when it comes to what we actually want and need in retirement? Well, you know, there's often the the assumption that what we need in retirement, and not incorrect, but woefully incomplete, we need financial security. Absolutely. It's much akin to saying you need electricity in your house. You can't do much without it. You can't also do very much without having financial security and the finances, not just to do the things you need, but hopefully the things that you want. But here's the incomplete part. There's so much more to life than then simply having financial security, where we're going to live, how we're going to get around, all those things that go into living every day. And I think that ties in. I've seen that you've written before that sometimes goals-based planning is the right start, but it doesn't necessarily go all the way. So what what is that gap between the goals and the financial planning that's needed, the electricity in the house? What's the remaining piece of it that maybe we're overlooking? Well, goals-based planning is absolutely important. It, shall we say, primes the pump in terms of what people think they want to do in retirement. But here's the thing, and we'll keep this as a secret just between us. None of us know what we really want in retirement. We, we set goals like, well, we want to be able to live here. We want to travel. That's one of the big things. And maybe do something for grandchildren if we have them. But the fact of the matter is, retirement is every day. So filling in those massive gaps, even if you're lucky enough to travel, I don't know, two months a year, and you get to see your grandkids at soccer practice maybe half the year. Okay, what do you do at Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning? That's not necessarily going to be travel, grandchildren, or frankly, even that bike ride that you're thinking. So goal-based planning is the big, big picture. Longevity planning, however, is about what do you do every day on the most boring Tuesday you can imagine? Do you hear that from the people that the MIT Age Lab is working with, that you know, they've thought about what retirement is going to be like, but when the transition actually happens, do you hear from them that there's suddenly maybe more time than they thought or that the grandkids, the bike ride isn't filling up all those hours? 
Well, I'll give you a tale, shall we say, of actually two Floridas. So I'll be uh, right on point uh, with, with your home office there. So the first one was an, a fellow that picked me up as an Uber driver uh, on the uh, east coast of Florida. I was actually doing focus groups with retirees saying, how great is this? You've got financial security, you got money, and you're in a wonderful state with a beach and everything else. This fellow picks me up and he picks me up in a Mercedes. And I frankly only order Uber X and uh, got very lucky. And I got talking to him and come to find out he lived at a condo right next door to one of the high-end luxury hotels. And so I kind of looked in the mirror and thought I could judge and push a little harder. And I said, so curious, why are you driving for Uber? And you know what he said? He said, you know what I and the dog, he had a dog with him, do every day. The wife and I walk up and down the beach. We walk up the beach two miles and we wave to all the nice people. And then he turns and says, and then he said, you know what we do after that? And I say, no, sir. He says, we turn around and we walk down the beach and we wave to the darn, darn people all over again. He was working not for the money, but for having a reason to get up. And by the way, just very quickly, as I write in my book, The Longevity Economy, I also interviewed retired CEOs. And just for a matter of trivia, the highest concentration of retired CEOs are in Naples, Florida. And so I went where there were Maseratis, money, and plenty of really cool things. And guess what? Most of them reported, 60 of them reported how unhappy they were because you no, know, the beach is nice. The yacht club is nice. That morning breakfast is nice. But you have to have meaning, engagement, things to do every day. So those big picture goals, ever so important. But can you fill in, as I said, every boring Tuesday? That meaning, that finding that missing piece that that maybe when we hit retirement, we realized that we didn't get quite right. How early is that something that can be planned for, thought about, put into motion? How do we how do we fix that gap and kind of find success in that space? I think there, there's there's two exercises. I, I think that it would be great for, for financial professionals to help their clients and for clients to do on their own. And they're little thought exercises, and they, they may sound a little pedantic at, at the moment. So for most of us, we should think about what is it we do every day when we're not working? And in fact, many ways for, as I wrote in an article for Forbes now about a year ago, COVID became a fire drill for retirement. I mean, how many rooms can you repaint and remodel and hobbies can you pursue? That was pretty much what a lot of retirement is. So when you're not working, what are you doing? And do you really have that long a list of things to keep you busy and happy and frankly, smiling every day? For others who have the money and the time, try retirement on. You think you want to retire to Arizona or to Ann Arbor or to some college town, what we call naturally occurring retirement communities. Great. Sign up for Airbnb. Do it for two or three weeks. See how it feels. Not, you know, Retirement is not a vacation. Unfortunately, we tend to plan for it the way we think of vacation. We think of all the high spots and we forget the everyday. Let's talk about the phrase active retirement. I think we hear this a lot. We might even see it a lot in the media, commercials, whatever. Uh, planning for an active retirement, an active retirement community. What do you think about that phrase? I, I, I love the phrase because it is so bloody ambiguous. Anything can be, uh, fit in it. So I remember interviewing a woman that was in her 80s, actually, in Chicago. And we talked to her about what does she mean in terms of active aging or active retirement? We're living in an active aging community. And her comment was, what's active? I'm alive. Does that make me active? 
No, this, this idea of an active retirement is quite bizarre. No, retirement is about living in a different stage of life. So active is whatever you choose to make it. The notion of active living, active retirement, or active community, that's marketing. And frankly, not very good at that. Right. It's not like any of us have ever met somebody who says they're planning for an inactive retirement. Yeah, exactly. I'm planning to sit on the couch and watch TV five and a half hours a day, which, by the way, between us, if you look at the data, because so few people actually envision that long one third of their adult life in retirement, sadly, most of us do spend our time on the couch watching TV. Let's return to, you know, what we've seen and and learned during this pandemic. It's been, you know, uh, probably a year, year and a half, an extended period of time where all of us retirees and and working individuals alike found themselves maybe living a different style of life than they were used to, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit more isolated, keeping into our own spaces. What did you hear from the the folks that you work with at the MIT Age Lab during that period? Did that shake up expectations about what we actually really want in retirement? Well, my team, I have to give them great credit uh, at the MIT Age Lab. We've been able to do research continuously, even when we were off campus, talking to advisors, talking to clients, talking to, shall we say, regular folks out there about what they were doing. And we did hear a few things. So the first thing that I alluded to a moments ago, which is, You know that long list we thought that we were going to be doing in retirement? I have lots of things around the house that need fixing and hobbies to pursue. Well, we found that about six months into COVID, you can only paint a room so many times. And so that list got really short after only a few months. And the second thing we learned is that we need people. You know, the real capital we need in retirement is not just financial capital, but should we say social security? No, not the check, if you will, that the feds send you once a month, but your friends, your family, that connectivity go a long way, if you will, to ensuring your well-being. And then we learned something else, Paige. We learned that technology became the new toilet paper. So in March of 2020, when everybody was out there buying pallet loads of toilet paper, guess what? Young, middle-aged, and older were suddenly buying tablets and speakers and smart doorknobs and the like. That technology became not just a new cost, but a new lifestyle. And then finally, something else we learned about living in COVID that's a lot like retirement. We were able to create a virtual assisted living, a term that I coined last year, which is all that smart technology combined with on-demand services, you know, life by app, grocery delivery, medication delivery, Uber drivers, uh, getting something fixed remotely was not just, shall we say, fun for those young, convenience hungry millennials, but became vital life uh, care services for caregivers and for older adults living at home. So yeah, COVID became a fire drill for retirement. And I think we learned a lot. What about our expectations for housing in retirement? Do you find that uh, people before transitioning to retirement, what are they expecting in terms of upsizing to maybe be able to take the grandkids for some time, downsizing to you know a smaller condo at the beach? What are the expectations and how does that line up with what we see in reality? I guess the first thing I would ask is I stare into the green light at our audience out there. Do you really have grandchildren? The birth rate has plummeted and we expected a baby boom after during COVID. After all, it was a lockdown. What else? And guess what? The birth rate even went further down. So ask yourself, do you have any kids? But that, that's a whole other issue. 
But the other thing that we learned in terms of where we're living and upsizing and downsizing is that first off, the vast majority, more than three quarters, maybe as much as 80% still want to age in place. Your marriage, your mortgage, your memories are in the house with all the you know creaks and cracks may have. And most of us want to stay there. So how do we finance being able to maintain that home as we age? How are we going to find people to help us maintain it and, and, and the like? That's one thing. But in terms of upsizing and downsizing, as you mentioned, Paige, ironically, we found a lot of people were downsizing to larger houses. So family size has actually physically gotten smaller. It's only one or two people. And yet the house size has gotten larger. And where we move, yeah, beaches are still popular, absolutely. And so are desert communities. But we found that a lot of people were moving to small towns. In fact, college towns. We call those naturally occurring retirement communities. And the reason is, just think about it, even Ann Arbor, not known for its weather and retirement, became a real place where people want to retire. All that active aging, as we like to call it, there's sports, there's medical care, there's things to do. And shall we say in the college towns, as someone who teaches in one, a lot of interesting, and we'll just leave it at that, interesting people that entertain you walking down the street. We're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Joe Coughlin from the MIT Age Lab in our next episode. We'll be digging into the longevity economy, and we hope you'll join us then. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time. 